This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, 2010 B.C., The Chronicles of Courage. And the author is R.K. Bessler. And Richard joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Richard. Good morning. How are you, Steve? Well, this is quite a tale. This is fantasy, but instead of talking about dinosaurs, we're talking about fantasaurs. So we'll find out more about why you did that. But this is a prehistoric fantasy adventure filled with morals and life lessons for readers of all ages. And you say you've never seen a book about prehistoric fantasy adventures where the creatures take on human qualities, and that's what sets this book apart. Well, Richard, tell us why you wrote this book. Well, originally this was just going to be a short story for my grandson, who at a very early age showed an interest in dinosaurs. Everything was dinosaur. And so I started writing this story, and then as I wrote it, I uh, I said, well, I might as well put a little moral to this thing, and so I made it about the caramels and the the use of sweets. And and in the in my book, the caramels actually get turned into a hallucinogenic sort of thing, and then the characters become uh, uh, hallucinogenically induced and and uh, uh, become rather addicted. And and uh, at one point, then. Heck and his and his friend Lizzie break up over it even and and so it's got a kind of a lot of kind of a lot of parallels to what happens in real life with with these kind of situations. Heck, you mentioned Heck. Uh, he kind of looks like a what a donkey kind of animal. Well, he's kind of he's kind of the size of a Welsh horse, if you know. They're kind of a medium sized horse, uh-huh. and he's got. Big, big, what I call floopy ears. They're not floppy; they're floopy. <laughs> they hang down, and he's got a he's got his front feet are are kind of across because he's not totally uh, become a, an actual horse. He's got some toes and stuff that stick out, which are very nimble. And then he's got a his lips are very agile, and he can do a lot of things with his lips, like a horse can do if you've ever been around a horse. They're pretty they're pretty handy with their lips. And and he's he's called a Hector Optimus. <laughs> and the hecto comes from six. The, it's a prefix for six, and recto meaning rear. He has these uh, six-sided leathery scales on his rump, and that's where the name Hector Optimus came from. <laughs> Optimus is what kind of an animal that he is. And what kind of a personality does Heck have? Heck is one of those latent kind of personalities. He's one of these. He's one of these uh, individuals that don't come across as being oh star quality uh, that sort of thing. It only comes out uh, in his relationship with Lizzie, and after he gets put under the gun, his intelligence brings him through a lot of uh, scenarios that would uh, cause most other individuals a lot of problems. So it's basically, basically not brute strength, more of a uh, intellectual quality that's his star quality. What what age group are your readers? 
Well, it depends on how young old people are and how old young people are. You know, it's a, <laughs> I call it a I call it a book for kids of all ages. Kids of all ages. Well, it looks like that type. Uh, there are some drawings. Would you call them uh, of the characters? Oh books. yes, on my on my website, I've got a list of the or pictures of the main characters on my website. Right. Okay, well, Lizzie, uh, Heck and Lizzie hang around each other. Tell us about Lizzie. Well, Lizzie is, Lizzie is one of those kind of creatures that is ugly on the outside but beautiful on the inside. And she's got this inner strength and inner quality that's just very quiet but very, very confident. And she is the one that actually... Uh, in, in the reality of things, is the first one to realize the presence of what I call the it, which is actually the uh, um, the creator God. But since animals don't have a relationship with God that people do, uh, he couldn't be called God, so I think he's called it. And she has this sensitivity to the it that comes through throughout the, all the way through the book and gets them out of jams where they don't need to be using force and violence. They can actually use use love and persuasion and tact and di- diplomacy and get a better result than if they did uh, were using a violent um, way of doing things. So Lizzie looks like what? Lizzie looks like a um, uh Monitorial, uh, I call her a monitorial lizard because she looks like a monitor lizard. You know, they're a very large looking mm-hmm. lizard, mm-hmm. very plain looking and not very pretty. Mm-hmm. So she's the, got long eyelashes, though. She's very sexy. She's got long eyelashes and these <laughs> big lips. You can see that in the picture of her. <laughs> so, Heck and Lizzie uh, have some adventures. Uh, what are what's the plot of the book? Is there a one single plot that they're they're trying to achieve of something? Well, it, and since the book is made up of actually three different books, the the plot of the first book is this this quest for caramels uh, and the making of caramels and and the uh, thrill and the fun initially that goes along with being. Uh, uh, affected by them in a hallucinogenic sort of way as because of the way they were made. Um, but then they overcome that and uh, as a result of overcoming that they become uh, they become a pair instead of just the, uh, the two individuals. Uh, and then the second book um, they um, they live on what I call pecans which are kind of tomato sized things. They grow in these special groves, and these groves need uh, a lot of fresh water for these pecan trees to grow. And all of a sudden in their grove where they, uh, where Heck calls home, um, their pecans started getting dry and shrivelly looking, and that's because the water table had dropped so low. And as it turns out, um, Felix the Falconoraptor said that he was aware of the fact that the Freedom River, which is their, where they get their watershed, had gotten blocked by a lava flow. And they would have to go and break through, break free that lava flow and free up the Freedom River and raise the water table back up. Well, in the meantime, Lizzie gets very, very sick from uh, eating too many of what I call Esquilophila bugs. <laughs> They're very sweet. <laughs> 
and Lizzie's family all uh, uh, came to join her because they were they're getting overrun by these Esquilla bugs. And uh, she gets sick and gets kind of like a pancreatic situation or diabetic or something like that, and she goes into a coma. So not only do they have to go and um, um, destroy this lava dam, but near the same area there's a cave that has these special helifixit plants, I call them, which are kind of a fungi type of thing that has these medicinal powers, and it can heal this kind of uh, situation. So they had they had a twofold mission, and then the and, and then also they brought in what I call the elephanticus calves. They are they are an elephant kind of a cross between an elephant and a mammoth, and these these creatures have what they call a maturity mission. When they reach a certain age, they have to go on a maturity mission in order to be accepted uh, as adults in the clan. And if they can't do it, then they get kicked out of the clan. So the three of these young calves, they got the approval to go and uh, help destroy this lava dam because it's going to take some beef and muscle to do this. Um, so there was a threefold thing going on in the second book. And um, I also introduced what's called his stalking, which is kind of a fantasy way of, of a serpentine-type creatures being able to speak back and forth over long distances by kind of an inaudible hissing noise that they can perceive. Um, and then the third book uh, came about because the Elephanticus calves had gotten stranded on the other side of the Freedom River from where the rest of the group was at, uh, because they had gone over and knocked some huge rocks down that cracked the lava dam and broke it, leak, broke it free, and uh, they got trapped. And so the third book the um, um, Heck and Lizzie and, and their group have to go after the Elephanticus calves because they find out that, that one of the calves has been captured by what I call bald-faced hominids, which are kind of a humanoid-type uh, creature. And they were going to uh, kill and eat this elephant, Elephanticus calf, and uh, the other two were trying to save him. They didn't know how they were going to, but that's what they had intended to do. So they, they uh, enlisted the help of um, uh, Heck and Lizzie and, and company through the use of his talking. Lizzie obviously picked it up after she was healed of her thing in the second book, and uh, away they went to uh, go um, free the captured uh, Elephanticus calf. And then in the end, they befriend the uh, bald-faced hominids and it makes for quite a scene at the end. In fact, it brings a tear to, tear to your eye. And even Lizzie, it says in the book, is that a tear in Lizzie's eyes? Uh, Monetary Lizardosaurus can't cry. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> well, your book is filled also with these life lessons, these morals. Uh, you know, I'll just mention a couple that you've uh, cited here. Don't judge a book by its cover. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. Character is built by overcoming the trials of life. It sounds like these adventures are pointing these things out very clearly. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And, and it's, the neat thing about it is, is the, the lessons get brought home without being boring or forceful. Another uh, one is communication is a must. Uh, usually issues can be resolved in a non-violent manner and forgiveness is its own reward and that's yes it is 
it's amazing what forgiveness will do, not only to the person that's forgiven, but to the forgiver. So this place, uh, this fantasy land is called what? Um, um, Ameritor. Okay, Ameritor, and it's located between two oceans. Uh, tell us those oceans. Uh, on the uh, one side is the ocean of motion, and the other side is the sea of no sea. <laughs> and then you have the Freedom River that uh, goes down the middle of Ameritor. Yes, it does. And also there's the uh, where the Elephanticus live is the uh, forest of future past. Is Ratso an important character? Ratso is important in the first book because he ends up... Uh, he ends up needing his just rewards in the in the first book. So he's and, not he's not very friendly. No, uh, actually he was at one point. Felix Felix the Falconer Raptor knew him at one point. He was a decent sort of a guy, but he got ca- caught up in this uh, this Carmel thing and all the results of, of what happens with the Carmels, and it kind of twisted his mind. So what's his full name? Ratso the what is that? Ratso, Ratso the Rat, you know. <laughs> And then there's Homer the Hounder Dog. Every, just as a side, everybody knows a rat, you know? Yeah, there's a right. rat and everybody. The rat yeah. you know, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about Homer the Hounder Dog. Homer the Hounder Dog is just a big, lovable cuff. You just can't help but love him because he slobbers all over everything, and, and uh, he's always so eager. He's not the brightest, uh, sharpest. Uh, male in the in the box, but he's a, he's a fun-loving dog, and he's courageous, and he's there all the way through the whole thing. He starts out at being an ally of uh, Ratso because Ratso was the only one that befriended him, if you want to call it befriended. He just you know made created a relationship with Homer, and uh, at the very end of the book, you discover something very curious, which I don't want to tell anybody, but it, it, it kind of explains uh, Homer's initial existence. Uh, it's kind of a nice little twist. It just came out, and I was going, oh, wow, this is kind of fun. Where did this come from? And so uh, they have to read through the whole book to see this. But he's, a, he's, he's kind of just a, old, like any big, long-eared dog that just bounces around and is happy-looking, kind of goofy, you know? Right. Well, you've got some great themes. Problem, resolution by diplomacy, forgiveness, courage in the line of fire, sacrificing self for friends. It sounds like a lot of great messages and themes and just a a fascinating fantasy uh, takeoff on dinosaurs called Fantasaurs. The title of the book... 2010 B.C., The Chronicles of Courage. And we've been listening to R.K. Bessler, the author. Richard, tell us how to get your book. Well, there are several ways. Obviously, it's on Amazon.com. It's also at the Author House. You know, put in the author's name or the uh, name of the book. It will show up. I also have links to, uh, I have a website, uh, 2010BC.com. And on that, I offer, if you want to buy from me directly, I will send out uh, autograph copies, you know, some people like that. And then otherwise, there's a link to Author House where you can order the book directly there. Um, let's see. Oh, and Facebook. I've got a Facebook uh, slash R.K. Bester. Well, thank you, Richard, for being with us on Author Talk. 
Thank you, Steve. I enjoyed it. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hey, moms, juggle your hats with our mom of many hats, Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Moms are always juggling their hats. And sometimes it's easy for moms to forget their value when life calls for switching from role to role. But the ability to juggle so many hats is priceless. She is never just a mom. She's a decision maker, coordinator, creative genius, counselor, a friend, an authority, and a leader in her household. On Mom of Many Hats Radio, we'll be talking about the hats that you as a mom juggle. We'll acknowledge your importance and support in helping you and all moms to not just defend your value, but to believe in your value. For more on the show and Angie, check out her website, azmamamanyhats.com. She is a strong woman. She is powerful. She is wonderful. And she is valuable. Mom of Many Hats with Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Girlfriend It is on Togginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central with your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The girlfriend at principal was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com and then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have mm-hmm. somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of this book, a children's book, Frolicking Friends, and the author is Karen Lee Welsh. And Karen joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Karen. Hello, Steve. Frolicking Friends is a a great book, rhyme that is really uh, the kind that kids will remember, great illustrations. It looks like a lot of fun. Let me read what you have written about it. You say, Frolicking Friends is a delightful, entertaining, rhyming picture book that tells about a boy who is looking for his unusual friends after a rainstorm. And, of course, his unusual friends are animals, bugs, you know, you know what boys exactly. would want to find, right? <laughs> exactly. And he finds them in a most delightful place and joins in frolicking with them. And when the storm clouds come again, the boy is quick to get his friends home. And it looks like a lot of fun for young and the adults reading it because it it is a, a great rhyming picture book. So, Karen, tell us about yourself, about your teaching background and writing background, and why you decided to take this kind of approach to a children's book. Well, um, I have been teaching school for 23 years now. Um, I started actually in Nebraska in a three-room schoolhouse and taught grades three, four, and five all at one time. So that was my first 
teaching assignment. Um, very interesting and very difficult, um, or challenging rather, but, but I loved it. Um, then we moved to Houston the following year, and I've taught um, a lot. I've taught every grade level, kindergarten through fifth grade. Um, I've taught a lot of writing. I've taught a lot of reading. And I know that children love rhyme, and I'm, I'm a first-grade teacher now and have been for the past 11 years. And I, I know that children um, learn from rhyme. That it helps them to develop that love for reading. It helps them to um, learn words and word patterns. Um, and so I, I started writing Probably when I when I was a child, I remember riding in a car with my father, and then we would turn the corners, and I would just think like a writer, uh, just things like, oh, as as they turned the corner, um, she looked out the window listlessly, just things like that that just came to my mind, and so I must have been, you know, thinking in a writing way a long time ago, but um, didn't really get around to it till just uh, in the last couple of years. I wrote this poem, this. Uh, story um just from i was sitting in my classroom one day and i saw at the end of the day and saw some books laying on a round table where i teach reading and um one of them was about a puddle and it and excuse me and um i remembered that as we took kids around the buses to go to the bus uh, buses at the end of the day um kids just loved stomping in the puddles after rainstorms and of course every kid loves that and so um, that just got me thinking about how much kids love puddles, and I didn't remember hearing reading a story anywhere about kids in puddles. And then there were other books laying on my table about a mouse and something about a house. And they started thinking about um, animals whose homes rhymed with their name, you know, with their names like mole and hole and things like that. So um, I just a story just developed out of that. Well, we've got these illustrations and these elements of literature which uh, not only include rhyme and that big long word how do you pronounce that onomatopoeia onomatopoeia what is onomatopoeia onomatopoeia is sound words like boom and crash and uh, words that Ah. uh, that are used to name the sound of something right so you have those in the book because yes, of the storm, yeah, the, the storm, and of course, you know, when you're reading it, you can really be real dramatic with the kids. I'm right. sure they love that. And then, then you say character traits. Now, what what's that about? Well, if you look um, as you go through the story, you can see that the illustrator really did capture the feelings of the of the characters as um, as he's going throughout. Which which I he, I think that illustrator did a very very good job of. Um, just the main character, which is the boy, how he's looking distraught throughout when he can't find his um, his friends, and then how excited he is when he finds them, and how he changes in the story, and then how um, the fear when the danger comes along, and then um, just the kindness of the boy to get his animal friends back to where they need to be. So we have a bug... We have a skunk. What are mm-hmm. some of the other ones? Uh, there's a mole um, and a bird and a bee uh, and a, let's see, a mouse. Um, 
there are nine animals. Nine animals, and of course they all rhyme with like uh, the mouse in the house and the bug in the rug and that kind of right. rhyme, which... Like you pointed out, uh, your four-year-old grandson already has memorized it. That's right, he has, and that's a pre-reading skill. So that um, he has, he fell in love with the book, and his mother would get to and do a bed not, bedtime story with him each night. And now, um, and he's still reading it, and it's been over a month since he's had it. And um, he he takes it to bed now, but he reads it to her. So. And that's a, he hasn't memorized, but he'll point at the words. And, and so he is getting to be a, a reader from, from reading this book. So. And that's one of your purposes, is to really encourage children to read. It is. It is. And parents should, and to include or encourage parents as well that um, they need to read to their small children because that really does improve their, uh, their life as a student. You also, of course, uh, you have a, uh, some education in the book about weather because of this storm right. and of course right. animal homes and and we've already talked about these character traits what what is the sequencing what do you mean by sequencing what's that oh um as as a school teacher we usually teach kids to um to remember the sequence of events in a story and so when I'm talking about sequencing, I'm saying, okay, what animal did he look for first? What animal did he look for next? And then um, the story turns around and it goes backwards as he's going um, back to the, the animal homes. And then what animal did he release back to its home first? And, you know, and how, you know, the forwards and the backwards in the story is, is an interesting part of the book as well. And interesting verbs. What are the interesting verbs? Well, the verbs that I used in order to um, to tell you how the boy returned, you know, what the boy said to the animals as they're as they're being released, uh, rather than just saying "go," he he uses interesting verbs such as um, flutter and perch and crawl as he's telling the different animals to get back into their homes. Slither, you know the interesting verbs rather than just get there, you know. Which which obviously is associated with what kind of animal or bug they are. Exactly, yes. Right. Well, so the kids are learning all the while, uh, learning the animals, learning how to talk about them, uh, of course the weather, uh, and and just the fun. I mean, that's the main thing, Right. Right, right. Just you know, just letting them be kids and see, have, having their imaginations just go wild, and um, you know, just enjoy the outdoors. Still, it's still there. You know, we still have our our uh, computers and our computer games and things. But hey, there's an outdoors out there that's a lot of fun, and and I want them to still use their imaginations. And that last illustration where he's inside the house, the, the rain is coming down, but he's st- still thinking about the fun in the puddle with his friends. Exactly, yes. Yes. Looking forward yes. to doing it again. Looks like he's thinking that. <laughs> yep, I think he is. He's thinking think that. He is. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, they... raining, we can go back out. <laughs> that's right. That's what kids want to do and go, like you say, go stomp in the puddles. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
Frolicking Friends. That's the title of this great children's book, Karen Lee's Welsh. And Karen, tell us how to get your book. Um, my book is uh, can be purchased at authorhouse.com, and it also can be purchased from amazon.com, and I believe it's even at barnesandnoble.com as well. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Karen, for being with us on Author Talk. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Whether you're four and a half or 100, you can retrain your brain. Learning RX, the radio show, is on toginet.com Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. Central Time with Martin Kruger. Learning RX programs are quick, they're efficient, they're life changing, and they're permanent. Unlike tutoring, cognitive skills training or brain training targets the root issue causing learning struggles. Time and money spent on chronic tutoring is a clear signal of cognitive skill deficiency. That's where Learning RX comes in. Call today, 903 617 6899. 903 617 6899. Then join us for the show here every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. And take advantage of the power it holds to improve your life. There are so many brain training issues that Learning RX can help you with. It's not a product, it's an experience. So join us for Learning RX, the radio show with Martin Kruger. Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Welcome to Planet Earth, 2050, Population Zero. And the author is Robert Hall. And Bob joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Bob. Hi. (laughs) Well, that's an ominous, uh, real ominous Title uh, Population Zero. By the time we reach 2050, we're going to talk about the details of your book because we're talking about biblical prophecy, the predictions of the Hopi Indians, Sir Isaac Newton's calculations for Armageddon, and the final right. war described in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and of course, the prophecies of the Bible. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Bob, and why you decided to write the book. I've always, uh, you know, I'm a pharmacist by trade, and through the years I've always wanted to write, and I, I wrote a lot of articles uh, for pharmacy, and I was told many times oh, well, I have a gift for writing, and so I decided, oh, I'm going to finish my life by writing books, 
but this subject uh, was overwhelming to me. Uh, um, I, I, my first inclination to do this was when I read an article in Newsweek that talked about uh, the peak oil concept. And with the, what, uh, it was written by a geologist who said that by the year 2050, there will not be enough oil to go around for all the industrialized countries, and the population will be 9 billion, and there's going to be a war over what little oil is left. Now, when I say oil, I'm talking about cheap oil. There's a lot of oil, but cheap oil is not, is not going to be around in the year 2050. Uh, 2050. In fact, Yemen uh, is uh, predicted to run out of oil in the year 2017. Uh, we are headed for oil depletion. And when I read that, I said, my God, that sounds almost biblical. You know, so uh, I started to do some reading about oil and what our supplies are, etc. And then came Iran's threat to wipe Israel off the map. And, and that, to me, sounded biblical. So I, I started to do, I started to read the Bible. And, and then it just struck me. Things struck me in that Bible was, I, I want to say it was miraculous, but man, I, I, it was thunderous to me. I mean, uh, I'm just, I was overwhelmed by, by the passages of the Bible. And I read Daniel and Ezekiel and Book of Revelation. I read all the prophecies, not the Old Testament, because the Old Testament is Jewish history. And not that I think against the Jewish people, I actually admire them. But the New Testament is about our Lord Jesus Christ and the prophecies and things that have yet to happen and are going to happen. And if you read them very carefully, it's going to be worse than the Spanish Inquisition, the Holocaust, and the bombing of Hiroshima all put together. What man is going to go through in the tribulation is going to be un, uh, unfathomable. We, we, we're just starting now to get a little bit of the touch. We have a global economic situation that's bad. We're having weather changes, but these, as the Lord spoke on the, uh, on, on the Mount of Olives, he said, what you are going to experience right is at first birth pangs. They will be small. In other words, the earthquakes, volcanoes, etc., pestilence, etc., would be small. But as the end times get closer, they will get worse. And, and that's what the Lord said. Um, I, and I was really impressed by what he said. And there are other parables in the Bible that I, I, I had to wonder what they were, and I had to pray to understand them. For example, uh, 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 the Lord spoke of the fig tree and the blooming of the fig tree. And what he meant, according to not me, but some scholars that I read, that he was referring to the birth of Israel uh, and the blooming of Israel, which happened in 1948 when they became a, a, a state. And the Lord said that those who saw that, uh, the genera a generation would not pass uh, from those who saw that. That's like saying... Uh, Armageddon is going to occur in a hundred years after the birth of Israel, because in the Bible, the generation is a hundred years. So the Lord essentially said, watch out for the year 2050. So um, um, I got really wrapped up. I have an incredible amount of research put into the book. I mean, I can't begin to tell you how many boxes of religious articles, and and uh, I'm going to say something that's also going to make you think I'm nuts. But Satan, I swear to God, that bastard tried to stop me from writing the book. My computer crashed twice. Mm. When my friend, who is a computer expert, because um, um, Author House wanted this put on a CD-ROM, he came over 
and put it on a CD-ROM for me, and I sent it in to Author House. They called me back and said it was blank. And my friend said, there's no way it was blank. I saw it. So that CD-ROM got erased. And every time I went to the library, it was either closed or the printer was broken. I mean, he fought me tooth and nail, but I wasn't going to give up. You know, I had an assignment. You know, I'm not a prophet, but he keeps teasing me. What do you think you're a prophet? I'm not a prophet. I'm simply a messenger. Mankind is in the position right now where he has to make a choice between Satan and God. And if you choose Satan, you're going to go through a horrendous period of time. If you choose God and, and Christ, you're going to be okay. But I'm very passionate about this because I want the message to be put out there, hey world, wake up. You're going you're gonna to go through hell um, if you don't uh, turn uh, uh, toward God. We can't rely on President Obama or politicians or anybody else. You have to turn to God because America has turned its back on God, and that's why we're suffering. And that's my first subject is why study the Bible. Um, can I go through my six topics now? Sure. What? Go ahead. Okay. The, uh, why study the Bible? John of Patmos, when he wrote the book of Revelation, he wrote on the first sentence, Happy is the man who reads this prophetic passage, and happy are those who hear it, and heed what is written in it, for the appointed time is near. This is so very true. For the past four years, I've been at peace with God. You know, I, I, I know uh, what, it, what the future holds for, for those who believe in Christ. And... Um, those who don't believe in Christ are in for a shock. They really are. Anyway, that's my first subject, is why I study the Bible. The second uh, topic is the Bible and America's current dilemma. The Bible very clearly states that God will intervene in the affairs of nations. And I would like to quote uh, a, a passage that says so. This comes from Deuteronomy. It says... I'll have to get my magnifying glass with my side. It's not all that great. It says, The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You should be above only and not be beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and be careful to observe them. Right now, we owe China over a trillion dollars. We are debtors. We have turned our back on God, and he is turning his back on us. And if we don't shape up, we're not going to be, you know, we're going to suffer. This country's going to suffer. Um, it's already starting. I mean, it's starting to suffer already. And... Great Britain, America, now topped the list of nations who have gone godless. From 1985 until the present day, we've turned on God. We really have. These two countries, who were once powerful, who defeated Germany and Italy and Japan in World War II and were champions of the world, now stand ready to fall to radical Islam and uh, North Korea, China, and Russia. Um, and, and why? What sins has America committed? Now, this is kind of lengthy here, but I, it shouldn't be much more than a minute. Um, before 1985, we didn't have the following. Same-sex marriage. The Bible clearly says man must not sleep with man. We have abortion. Now, women say they, they have the right to choose. 
but 50% of the babies that were murdered could have been women. Where was their choice? Uh, we are having an attack on religious ideals today. Atheism, for example. Uh, I don't know if you've read the article, but in Pennsylvania, the legislature passed a law, uh, a resolution saying that the year 2012 would be the year of the Bible. And what happened? Atheists are suing the Pennsylvania legislature. I mean, atheism is on the rise, and Christ predicted that. Next thing, 80% of the world's pornography comes from America. That's one of our sins. We have more prisons in the United States than the entire world. Corruption in business and government. We have senators going to prison. We have guys like Mad Madoff and uh, John Corsi and Enron. We have CEOs robbing people of their savings. Uh, we have drug addiction. Um, uh, even 15% of the medical field. You could go to, the oper uh, to an operating room today and have your surgeon be an alcoholic and your anesthesiologist be hooked to narcotics. 15% of the medical field are drug addicts. We have crime and violence, which, which parallels Rome. You know, and there's a lack of, of heroes in our, in our country, in our society. Um, athletes don't have any moral principles. We have entertainers committing suicide like Keith Ledger and Michael Jackson and Elvis Presley and Adam Nicole Smith. I mean, these are all sins against God's commandments. And I'm getting at half of it. This next page is we, um, suicide in America. 30,000 people in America commit suicide every year. And it's higher than the rate of murder and homicide. In the youth between the ages of 15 and 24, one out of every three uh, kids commits suicide. Uh, de the deaths, the deaths in one out of every three youth is suicide. Junior Seau, I live in San Diego, he committed suicide yesterday. He was a legend. Um, we have fraud, scams, and greed. There's even a TV program you can dial. I watched it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's even titled Fraud, Scams, and Greed. You can watch what people are doing to us. Um, this is a Batachi mosque in America. I'm totally against it. Because Muslims, you know, let them practice their religion in the Middle East. Because when they go into a mosque, they bow to Mecca and praise uh, Allah as being the one true God. Well, let them do it in a different country. This country belongs to God, our God, not Allah. Um, we have secular judges and atheists. They want to remove unto God from the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. I mean, uh, uh, okay, I'm done with that topic. Uh, am I going too fast? Am I boring you? Not at all. Go ahead. <laughs> the next topic is the wrath of God in the past and scheduled to happen. Um, people need to, people don't understand that God has used his wrath in the past. And the best example is Pompeii. When the Romans were persecuting the Christians, they would go to Pompeii, which was their Las Vegas, and they would go there to drink wine and cavort and, 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 and bathe and, and, and just have a ball. Well, God was, excuse my language, pissed off, and he caused Mount Vesuvius to erupt, and he buried Pompeii. It was buried for over a thousand years. He encased the Romans in lava. That was the wrath of God. 
I mean, people just don't, you know, they say, oh, I got Vesuvius erupted, big deal. That was God. Excuse my language. Excuse me for saying so. In World War II, when Hitler decided to invade Russia, he obliterated one-third of Russia. But the Russians were smart. They kept retreating and retreating. Germany, German troops got to within 100, yard, 100 miles of Moscow, and they were bombing it with panzer tanks and artillery and getting ready to demolish Moscow. What did God do? He brought the temperature down to minus 40 degrees. He froze the tanks. He froze the artillery. The Germans tried to retreat, and the Russians counterattacked and destroyed the army and then drove to Berlin. That was God that did that. It wasn't the Russians. God caused the temperature to drop to the point where they couldn't move. We're going to have to move quickly through these other ones. Okay. Okay, that's the end of the wrath of God. Okay, end-time prophecies. There are secular prophecies and there are religious prophecies. Uh, the secular prophecies have nothing to do with the return of Jesus Christ. There's the doomsday clock, for example. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but according to the to the um, uh, nuclear um, scientists who set this clock up, the doomsday clock, we're at five minutes to midnight because of the nuclear arms that we have and the climate changes. That's nothing to do with the return of Christ, though. Um, geologists claim <clears throat> are, are very upset about the fact that peak oil has occurred and, it's, and, and, it's, and oil production is going down every year, and they're saying by the year 2050 the world's going to go to war over what little oil is left. Those are the secular prophecies. The religious prophecies are, first of all, the Bible. Jesus, uh, his, his, his uh, parables, and then there's the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, there's the War Scroll, and the War Scroll is fascinating. It says that World War III is going to be a 40-year war. Now, if you consider 9-11 to be the first year of World War III, which I do, when Islam attacked the United States, that was the first war. The War School says there's going to be seven major battles. Well, that was the first battle, and evil won. We retaliated by invading Iraq and Afghanistan, and we, and we won. Now, the uh, War Scroll says at the end of six wars, the score's going to be three to three. Three for evil, three for good. The seventh war, which is the final war of the final battle of World War III, will be Armageddon. It'll be Christ against the Antichrist. Um, and then there's Sir Isaac Newton. Now, Sir Isaac Newton um, was a brilliant mathematician and scientist, but he was also a devoted Christian. He studied, his love was the Bible. And he studied it, and he prayed for God to, to God to let him understand the codes because, and he discovered the codes in the Bible. And what he did was he took the uh, events and the prophecies of the Bible and mathematically came up with the year 2060 as being Armageddon. The American Indians, um, I'm still in religious prophecies, Black Elk actually had a visit from Jesus. He describes in his book, Black Elk, Black Elk Speaks, and he totally believes in Jesus. The Hopis, Hopis rather, they went to the League of Nations when the League of Nations existed and begged them to disarm the planet because they foresaw a nuclear holocaust coming. League of Nations said no, and the Hopis said, then the blood of the planet will be on your hands, not ours. Um, the Hopis predicted World War I, World War II, 
And now they're predicting World War III. Um, okay, now we can jump to why 2050. And we have Bob. we don't have very much time left. I'm sorry, Bob. Okay, um, then I'll jump to my last. Have a minute. Sure, go ahead. Okay, I'll jump to my final one. Uh, what the book is all about. The, the book is about four sections. It's mainly prophecies, and it's my presentation of what might happen. It is NASA's planned, uh, planned exploration of space, which is going to occur in the year 2020. And then the book is a plea to repent. Um, if we don't, and, and God's wrath is in the book of Revelation, seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. Uh, that's all going to happen if we don't repent. And that's what the book is about. And I'm done. <laughs> well, it is obviously a very comprehensive work. Uh, the title, Welcome to Planet Earth 2050, Population Zero. And the author... That, that's, that, that's only if Christ doesn't come back. If Christ doesn't come back, the planet Earth will be dead, just like all the other planets. But the Lord promised he would come back. I only reason I had that title was I wanted to draw attention to that fact. Well, it does. And uh, the author well, is Robert Hull. Bob, tell us how to get your book. Oh, it's on Amazon.com, and it's on BarnesandNoble.com. Thank you for being with us. Okay, I hope I, I didn't go too fast or... Not at all. Get, get too excited. But it, it's a passion for me. 